Well, children, thank you for coming up to the front and thank you so much for being here today. I wanted to tell you a really cool story out of the Bible. Jesus had some friends. We call them his disciples or his apostles. But these were just his close friends and they traveled together all over the place for three years. And the Bible tells us that one day Jesus got in a boat. Hey guys, Shane, let's pay attention up here for just a second. Jesus got in a boat with his friends and they were traveling on a lake. Now, have you guys ever been out on a boat before? Have you? No. No? What's it like when you're out on a boat? What, Audrey? It's kind of shaky. Kind of shaky. Because the water's moving, isn't it? Right? So it's not, you know, I've been out on boats before. I've actually been out on ships before, out on the ocean. One time I was on a ship on the ocean. My wife and I were on a cruise and we were literally up at the northernmost part of the United States on the eastern side and there was a storm and I was laying in my bed. Now this is a big boat. I was laying in my bed and it was doing this. And I was scared. I was like, oh, we're going to tip over. Ah, I was really scared. You know what my wife did? She opened the door and went out to the balcony. She wanted to go look at the waves. And I was like, get in there now. And she's like, what are you wrong? What's wrong with you? I'm just looking. Now you're going to fall overboard. Get in. And she made fun of me because I was so scared. I mean, she said, it's a big ship. It's not going to tip over. We're fine. Get in here now. That's, I was scared. And I was in a big ship. But on this story in the Bible, it says that Jesus and his friends were in a little boat. And it said, where did it go? There it is. When they got into the boat and they got out into the middle of the lake, a storm happened and the boat was being pushed around by the waves, pushed around by the waves. And the guys who were normal, these guys are people who spend their lives on boats doing fishing. They got scared. Well, I understand what it means to be scared when there's a storm out at the sea and you're out in the water and you're going like this. I understand how scary it is. But you know what Jesus was doing? What do you think Jesus was doing? He was what? It says, this is what Jesus was doing. He was asleep. He was asleep. The boat was going like this. And the waves and the wind and the rain. And the people were going, ah, ah, we're going to die. And Jesus sound asleep. And you know what the disciples did? They came running over to Jesus. And they went, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. Wake up. Don't you understand? We're going to die. And Jesus is like, what? 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 Jesus is like, well, what are you guys upset about? Like, There's a storm. We're going to die. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys. Oh, you're so little faith. Come on. It's not that big of a deal. Jesus, we're going to die. The wind, the waves. You know what Jesus did? He turned and he went, peace. Be still. And guess what happened? The waves 
stopped. The wind stopped. They were no longer having problems. And I doesn't say it in the Bible, but I think Jesus went, come out, guys, and laid his head back down on the bed and went back to sleep. And you know what the guys did? This is what they did. They looked at each other and they said, who is this guy? Even wind and waves obey him. Oh my. And they worshiped him. Because he's God. Exactly. He's God. And they recognized that he wasn't just powerful. He was powerful. And that's a pretty cool story. Let me pray with you guys. Jesus, you are powerful. You are almighty. You are glorious. And we can trust you even when we're scared. Even when we feel like we're gonna feel like we're gonna die, we can cry out to you. And you can control the whole situation just with your words. So God, I ask that you would bless each of these kids and us. Help us, Father, to learn that. We don't have to be afraid. We just have to come to you whenever we have a problem. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, you guys can go with your folks to your class. And I'm going to go sit down and take a drink because I trashed my throat. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. I took a throat lozenge just before I did that because I knew. And unfortunately, (coughs) I couldn't do it justice without being a little bit raspy and it trashed my throat. But that's okay. I'm going to ask you guys a question, and you can raise your hand if you want, but don't feel like you need to. How many of you people pray? When do you pray? When you pray, what do you pray for? I will tell you, when we were living in the Philippines in 1984 until 1987, we had some very dear friends who were serving there as missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene. And they are now retired and they live in Florida. Because we are on Facebook, we're able to stay in touch with them. Um, but <clears throat> um, his name is Byron. Her name is Leanna. They have two daughters. When we knew them, their daughters were very young. Their daughters are now in their you know 40s and early 50s. So it's, we're a little older now. But, um, but Leanna was telling me a story once that when she was in labor and, 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 and getting ready to have one of the two children, I don't remember which one it was, she was in a great deal of pain. And during her labor, she cried out to Jesus. I mean, she was in the middle, in the throes of having the baby. And she screamed out, Jesus! And her husband got mad and walked out of the room. And they had to talk about that afterwards. Now, he was upset because she felt she was taking God's name in vain. And when they talked, she said, you don't understand. I was crying out to my God because I was in pain and I needed him. He said, I never thought about that. I never thought about that. You know, when I first got here, I had the blessing. Eh, 
of inheriting 35 young people that met here at this church every Friday night. We had upwards of 35 teenagers every single Friday night. And we got to where we would take them home in the church's van. The church had a 12 to 15 passenger van, depending on how many you squeezed in and if they were indeed wearing seatbelts. And then there were a couple of times when we actually drove down to teen events at the, at the camp or various places. And there was a young man, I won't share his last name, but his name was Nick that attended our church here through our youth ministry. This is back almost 20 years ago. And we had a new kid that was riding in the van going to some event with us. And Nick said to the new kid, listen, if you ever hear Pastor Bob scream, Jesus help us, grab on. Well, what it was, was we had hit black ice a number of times on trips. I mean, I literally, I was, <clears throat> if you're familiar with, with the Denali Glitter Gulch area, and you get, uh, just before you, leaving Healy, just before you get down into the Glitter Gulch, you have to go across a bridge. Well, on coming back to Healy, you go across that bridge, and then you kind of curve around this way, and then you curve around this way, but you're going uphill when you're curving around to the right. And as you're going around to the right and curving, we hit black ice. Now, we're accelerating trying to get up the hill in this 15-passenger van and turning at the same time. And we hit black ice and we just went into a complete 360 spin. And I screamed, Jesus, help us! And we stopped. I mean, the van, it was as if somebody grabbed the van. And we were perpendicular to the road. And I stopped, I looked, I said, is everybody okay? And they said, yes. I said, okay, make sure you have your seatbelts on, Nick. And we went on. <laughs> One other time. We were coming home from a youth event. It was January time frame. It was the winter retreat. We were up <clears throat> in the hills between Nanana and Fairbanks just before Healy. And again, we were coming in a curvy, hilly area. And we went into a 360 degree spin. And we ended up slamming the front end of the vehicle into a snowbank and stopping suddenly. <clears throat> and when I got out, there was a woman who had been in a vehicle behind us. Again, screaming, Jesus, help us. And when I got out of the van to check and make sure everything's okay, this lady came running up. She said, are you guys okay? Are you guys okay? Yeah, we're fine. Nobody's heard of it. I said, it was the weirdest thing. She said, I know. It looked like you were going to topple over. I said, I know. It felt like we were going to topple over. And it was as if God just took his thumb and put it on top of the van and kept us from turning over. She said, I could. it looked like you were going to flip over. And then all of a sudden, it just righted itself. And I said, well, I screamed, Jesus, help us. And apparently he did. Now, I pray a lot. I, I'm, you pay me to pray, so I pray a lot. <laughs> I mean, if I had to, if I got a penny for every prayer, I'd be a lot richer than I am. But, but the, but the thing is, in preparing this, I was thinking, Lord, I'm a professional prayer. People ask me to pray for their needs. I literally have had people this week say, "You need to add such and such to your prayer list," and I think. Do I have a prayer list? Maggie's got a prayer list, but do I have a prayer list? Not that I don't have a prayer list, but I don't have a static prayer list that I just go the names, the names, the names. Because I did this morning as I was praying, because I was reflecting on this. I was like, Jesus, please bless Mary. Please bless Charlene. Please bless Beth. Please bless. And I was like, is that really praying? Am I really praying for them? 
And the Lord was like, yeah, I know their needs. I know what's going on. There's nothing wrong with just praying their name out loud to me. That's fine. But I was like, hmm. And that's where I want to go this morning. I want to look at what is the Bible? What is specifically uh, the New Testament, specifically the book of Matthew, specifically the book of Matthew chapter 8? Talk about prayer. So you now know where we're going. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the very first four verses. Now, this is free. I'm going to, I'm going to give you this extra as you're looking. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the scholars that I read said, chapter 8 and 9 immediately follow the Sermon on the Mount. Start again. Scholars, some scholars say that Matthew listed these things in chrono, the, 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 the works of Jesus in chronological order. Others say, no, Matthew had a specific reason for putting them here, but they weren't necessarily in chronological order. If you look at Mark, you'll see a much better chronology of Jesus' actions. And this other scholar said, well, one of the things that, that 8 and 9 are is actually just a listing showing the proof that Jesus is God, that he is the king, that he's not just a holy man, but that he is, and not just wise, but that he is indeed God, which is what I just showed with the kids. You know, Jesus being able to command the wind and the waves. But look at very first four verses in chapter 8. We see Jesus coming down from the mountain, okay? He just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He just finished saying, if you build your house on a rock and the winds come and the blah, 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 then the house will stand. If you build your house on the sand, then blah, 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 and the house will fall and great will be the crash. And then he's, and then it says, and they were amazed at the authority with which he preached. It wasn't like the Pharisees and the scribes. And then it says, and Jesus came down from the mountain. So now Jesus is entering back into normal and everyday life. <clears throat> and it says, verse one, great crowds followed him. Verse two, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you do that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, <clears throat> give you a little bit of history, a little bit of understanding of the Jewish culture and what was going on here. A leper in that culture wasn't necessarily somebody who had Hansen's disease. Okay, Leprosy was any uh, skin issue. Okay, and in the in the book of in the in the books of Moses, the the Torah, the law, there was some literally some specific rules that the Jewish people had to follow when it came to skin issues, and they had to go and show themselves to the priest and say, "What is this rash on me?" And the priest would go, "You're clean," or "You're unclean," depending on what the priest saw. And it talks about it. If it's white and has this, if it's this and has this, if it's red and has sores and oozy. And he would determine, are you clean or unclean? If the priest declared you unclean, you couldn't go back to your community. You were now an outcast. And you literally, as you were walking around, would have to, to, to proclaim to the world around you, unclean, unclean, don't come near me, unclean. You lost contact with all of your family, with all of your neighbors, with all of everything. You couldn't work. You couldn't earn a living. And they started congregating in leper colonies. 
because they had to go someplace to support each other. So when this guy comes to Jesus in a crowd, it's a pretty significant thing. He's violating culture. He's violating what he knows he has to do. He's probably going, unclean, unclean. And there's a path opening before him. And he's trying to get to Jesus. And it says he kneels down before Jesus and says, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing to be clean. Stretches out his hand and touches him. Do you understand the significance of that act? According to the law, you didn't touch an unclean thing or person because that would make you unclean. So Jesus doesn't pay attention to the, to the, to the rules of mankind. He literally reaches out and touches the untouchable, the one who is an outcast, the one who no one will come near, who hasn't probably had that physical touch from a human being for years. And Jesus says, I am willing, touching him. And says, be clean. And it says, immediately, he is cleansed. And then Jesus says, do not say anything about this to anybody. Well, that's kind of a stupid statement. Because if I got cleansed of leprosy, the very first thing I'm going to be doing is having a shouting spell. And when people say, what in the world are you doing? He's like, oh, look at this. And Jesus said, don't do any of that. Just follow what the law says. What does the law say, son? I'm supposed to go to the priest. I'm supposed to show myself to him and I'm supposed to offer an offering. And then the priest will examine me. He'll determine whether or not I'm clean or unclean. If he declares me clean, I can come back into society. I can rejoin my family. I can rejoin my work. I can start living again. Exactly. Go do that. So that's what's going on here. This is a very poignant, very intimate, very powerful four verses. But what does it say to us about prayer? Because who was praying in this, in this little story? Jesus wasn't the one praying. It was the leper. What did he say? He said two things. And I would submit to you that these are two key components to any prayer. He knelt before Jesus and he said to him, Lord, if you will if you are willing number one number two I know you can make me clean it wasn't a matter of going I'm hoping against hope it was I know beyond any shadow of a doubt you are my only hope I am going to risk All of this social outcast stuff to get an audience with you. I am going to get in your face and I'm going to plead with you. Heal me because I know that you can do it. (coughs) Excuse me. Now let's look at this second component of this man's prayer first. Jesus had the ability to heal. This man believed him. Why is that significant? I don't want you to answer out loud, but just think about it. Why is that significant? If you go just a few verses beyond this story in chapter 8, you will see a story where a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, My servant is ill. 
And Jesus said, I'll come to your house and, and heal him. He said, no, I don't need you to come to my house. I'm a man under authority. I understand. You just give an order and it has to happen. I believe that you have the ability to just speak the word and that my servant can be healed. And Jesus says, I have never seen such faith in all of Israel. And so Jesus then says to the centurion, go and hear what he said to this man. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And that moment, the servant was healed. Jesus himself said, the healing will take place as you have believed. Now, that's an, that's an acknowledgement of the man's faith. It's an acknowledgement of the man's uh, trust in Jesus. But if you go to the next chapter, chapter 29, Jesus is being asked to heal some blind guys. And then when he has, when they get an audience with him, he says, what do you want me to do for you? They say, we want to see again. And verse 29 of chapter 9, Jesus touches their eyes, saying to them, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Now, that's a scary thought to me. Because if my healing <clears throat> depends on my faith, is that saying that the quality of my faith will affect the quality of my healing? I'm not saying that it does. I'm saying you can read it that way. And I'm saying to you that there are some people who think, and who, some people who actually teach this, well, obviously you didn't get what you asked for because you didn't have strong enough faith. If you had strong enough faith, God would have honored it because look what it says right here in Matthew 9, chapter 29. Ah, isn't that works? We are saved by faith, not works. Now, yeah, we have to prove our faith through our works. That, that's James, I understand that. But, but to say that you control how much God is going to work in your life based on how good quality faith you have? Hmm. Because if I don't believe in God at all and somebody comes and tells me the gospel and I accept it. Now it's a weak faith. It's a, it's a, it's a little tiny germ of faith, but I accept it. Am I not completely and fully saved and cleansed of all sins that I've ever done? Do I not get a full and complete salvation? Even though I just have this tiny little germ of faith. So I can't justify saying, well, according to your faith, let it be done to you. In other words, if you believe strong enough, we'll give you a complete healing. Otherwise, you'll have a cataract still. <clears throat> well, yeah, you're going to get a 2040 healing, not a 2020 healing, because, you know, you just didn't have strong enough faith. I just can't justify that. But the problem is I have heard it and I've seen it in people's lives. What kind of garbage is that? But what do you believe? What have you lived? How do you pray? God, I'm not, I'm not a really great prayer, but and I, don't, I don't know if you even have any reason to even listen to my prayers. Would you just, but please, 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 my friend is sick. My child is, it's like, I don't even touch that. But that's how a lot of people live their prayer life. 
Now, let's go back to that first component. The guy had full confidence that Jesus was able to heal him, but he put a little caveat on it. Lord, if you are willing. He came to Jesus with a request, not a demand. We live in an interesting time. I can't speak to any time prior to 1959 because I don't know. I wasn't here before then. But I can tell you that from 1959 until today, there are people who have walked this earth who stand, quote unquote, in the name of Jesus and say, if you just name it and claim it, it's yours. You can go to God and tell him you want a Cadillac. You want a $5 million mansion and it is yours. God is obligated as long as you believe and send in your seed faith money. Now, I am not trying to make disparaging remarks to about any person or their ministry, but I am telling you, I don't feel comfortable demanding anything of the Almighty. Now, I can come to him and say, Lord, your word says, and I believe that you are a person of your word, so I trust that you will honor your word. But to come to God and demand anything seems a bit scary to me. But he came not with a demand, but with a request. He said to Jesus, if you are willing. Now, <clears throat> I've been a Christian since 1975. I was taught to pray according to your will, let it be done unto me, God. I then get out of the Air Force, retire from the Air Force. I'm now going to Bible College in Colorado Springs. I have to support my family. So I'm working for a Christian nonprofit ministry called Focus on the Family. When you guys would call Focus on the Family, I was one of the guys that you would talk to. <clears throat> and when people call Focus on the Family, a lot of times they'll say, please pray for my great grandpa, blah, 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 blah. And we would say, uh -huh. and we would literally write down what their prayer request was. And we would literally type it into the database and it would then go out for prayer. And every single employee for 15 minutes every single day was handed a list of, of, of actual sheet of typed out prayer requests. And in our particular case, our team would get together in groups. We had like, I think we had like 15 or 20 people on our team and they divided us into like two or three and our, our boss would hand us a sheet of paper and the two or three of us would pray over these specific needs. But every single business day for 15 minutes, we would pray over those prayers. I mean, those, those prayer requests. <coughs> Excuse me. But one day we finished praying and while we were still on a break, my coworker looked at me and he said, why did you pray that? And I said, what do you mean? Every single prayer you prayed, you said, if it be your will. I said, well, isn't that what the Bible says? He said, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we should have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. And if we do, we can say to this mountain, be moved and it will be moved. How dare you limit God by saying, if your will, don't hide behind that. That's a way for you to say, my prayer didn't get answered because it just wasn't God's will. And I will tell you that that threw me for a loop. It really did. I thought, God, what is, this is what I've always believed. This is what I've been taught. This is what I thought was the truth. Am I wrong? 
Well, I will read to you some scriptures and then I'll tell you my thoughts. If you turn to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says this. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, I have indeed pulled this out of context. There are other scriptures around it. You will have to read the whole chapter to be able to fully discern what's being said here. But let's just look at these two verses right here. What is he saying? It is possible for you to have confidence toward God. When you ask anything according to his will, you can know that God has heard you. He didn't say you can know that you got what you asked for. He said you can know that God has heard you. Then he says, and if we know that God hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So he does go there saying, if you trust God, if you believe God and you pray according to his will, then you will have the request that you've made of God. Okay. Well, let's go to this confidence thing, first of all, and this idea of God hearing my prayers. Because it's important that we understand who we are in Christ and what our standing is and how it relates to having prayers answered. Okay. So if you go to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8. Now, I know I'm doing a lot of skipping around, but it's important that you hear these verses. Proverbs 15, 8 says, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but God delights in the prayers of the upright. Let me repeat that. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. He delights in the prayers of the upright. Go to the end of Proverbs 15 to verse 29. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. So we hear that God delights in the prayers of the righteous, and God hears the prayers of the righteous. Then if you go to Psalm 66, Verse 18, Psalm 66, verse 18, the psalmist there said, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And again, I know I have pulled these verses out of their context. And I'm using them as proof texts for what I'm saying. You need to go back and read chapter 66 of Psalms and read chapter 15 of Proverbs and do a little bit of study for yourself. But I think I can confidently say that although I have pulled them out of their context, I'm not twisting any of their meaning. What I believe, what I think the scripture clearly says is that if you are in right standing with God, God will hear your prayers. You can have confidence in that. So then going back to 1 John chapter 5, 
if we have confidence that we know that God hears us because we are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if we know that he hears us because we have prayed in accordance, that we are righteous and in accordance with his will, we know that he, uh, we will have whatever request that we have made of him. So now the caveat is praying according to God's will. Okay? So you see, we started out with a leper who had full confidence that Jesus was the only source and had the ability and had, and had the, but he needed to see if he was willing. And now we come to John who says in his letter, you can have confidence, you can know, as long as you're in right relationship with God, he will hear your prayers, he will not reject you. If you pray according to his will, you will have what you ask of him. So then the question comes, is it possible for me to ever pray and it not be in accordance with God's will? And that's a struggle for me. I don't have a definitive answer, but I do have one more cherry-picked verse that I want to share with you. James chapter 4, verse 3. The book of James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask in order to spend it on your passions. In other words, James is saying basically the same thing John was saying. If you ask with selfish motivation instead of godly motivation, if you are saying, God, let my will be done as opposed to God, let your will be done, then you don't get what you ask for doesn't mean that you won't get what you ask for because it's possible it could still be God's will. But that's not a guarantee that you're going to get what you ask for. Jesus also said, and I don't have the reference because the Holy Spirit just downloaded this to my brain just now. If two or three of you agree on this earth about any one thing, it will be done for you by your Father who is in heaven. But guess what? If you get two or three Christians together to pray over something, one would think that there was anything wrong with that prayer or it wasn't being prayed in a right way or it wasn't being prayed according to God's will that one of those three Christians would have a, a realization from the Holy Spirit that, hey, we're not doing the right thing here. But if all three can agree, yes, this is indeed God's will. And yes, indeed, this brings glory to God. And yes, indeed, this will advance the kingdom of God. And so God, according to your will, let it be done to us. The Father in heaven who will hear your prayer and will give you what you ask for because you've all agreed upon it. See, that's different from Ruth, join me in prayer that I get a million dollars at this next PFD. Because the Bible says if two or three agree on any one thing, it'll be done for us on our Father in heaven. So Ruth, join me in prayer that I get that million dollars in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, 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 the tripod thing from Nanana. God, Ruth, we can do this. I'll give half of it to the, to the ministries, but I need the other half so I can buy a house. I'm getting ready to retire. Join me in prayer. So now I go back to the beginning. How many of you pray? How often do you pray? 
What do you pray for? And are you seeing your prayers get answered? I didn't ask that at the beginning. Are you seeing your prayers get answered? If not, why not? Let's pray. Father, let your will be done. Your word is your word. It is not my word. I pray that if there's anything that I've said that is not of you, that it would just fall away. I pray, Father God, that you would strengthen this body of believers and help them to become powerful prayers in the kingdom, seeing miracles happen, not for their own benefit, not so they can go, Haha, look at me, I can pray, but indeed, God, so that the kingdom of God would be advanced, so that souls would be saved, so that lives would be saved, so that families would be restored, so that health would be restored. And ultimately, so that your name would be glorified. We give you praise, honor, and glory. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.